five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. And welcome back into the Bama on three show. This is your host, Clint Lamb, sitting here once again with Jimmy Stein. Jimmy, how are we doing on this Monday after a couple of days of evaluating what happened in the A-Day game on Saturday? We'll start by just simply asking, how are you doing today, brother? I'm doing great. I think I'm going to answer this way every time all summer that we're going to do the show. We're going to be doing more of these shows, and I can't wait for all of it. But every time you ask me that, I'm going to respond with saying however many days it is until fall camp starts. We're at 102, so I'm doing good. Only 102 days to go. Okay, that's that's actually not as bad as I thought. Uh, got the NFL draft this week. That's going to be fun. Probably uh, we might try to put something together on that. Uh, I do think that there's going to be – it's definitely going to be worth reacting to. We'll see about previewing. We got a lot as far as the 8A game and want to dive into a lot of different things. So I don't know if we'll be able to get a lot of pre-draft content, but we'll certainly be reacting to it. But, yeah, the the, the number one thing right now – that everybody wants to talk about, rightfully so, is what happened during the A-Day game. And it, that, that could be quarterbacks, that could be receivers, running backs, offensive, I mean, every position. Uh, it was good, it was bad. You know, what was it? And so we did an initial reaction episode the same day that A-Day happened on Saturday. Now we're here to talk a little bit more in depth about it because we've both had a chance to go back and, and rewatch it. I've tried to rewatch it, I think, three times now. And every time you find yourself watching one or two players. And so there's going to be guys that maybe I still haven't gotten to. Maybe watched them a little bit. You know, I don't know if anybody knows my process, but I, I like screen recording plays and then going back and watching it several times in slow motion. Just makes it easier to kind of see what guys were trying to do and all that stuff. So it just it's a it's a long process. So bear with us on that front. But I feel like I have a much better grasp of what went down and who performed well and who didn't. And, you know, I'm assuming that you can probably say the same. Yeah, I I, I can. I mean, in terms of, I think, I know I feel differently after rewatching it than I did live. That's why I'm, I make such a big deal of rewatching the, the games in the fall pretty quickly too, because I always notice so much more when my personal emotion is removed from it. You know, whenever you're watching it live, there's this, initial take and it's not always wrong uh i, I just like re-watching uh knowing what's going to happen i feel like i've got a better grasp of all of all the details and watching away from the ball let's be honest when you watch football you know i have an offensive lineman that played at alabama one time a good friend of mine played played offensive line at alabama and i asked him after he left alabama i said hey when you watch alabama play do you watch the center and the guards is that what you're watching and he's like no, I watch the ball like everybody else. <laughs> so that's what we do when we're watching live, right? We watch the ball. But when you know what's going to happen, you can watch a tape. You're free to watch away from the ball, and, and you see a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Did you ever watch Game of Thrones? Uh, I'm the only person answering the question like this in the whole world. I saw episode one of season one. That's all I've seen. Okay. Well, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you probably know that it didn't end well. Everybody hated it. Uh, I'll, I'll compare going back and watching film to season that last season of Game of Thrones. And what I mean by that is it was one of the most terrible things I've ever seen transpire live. 
like just watching it in real time. I had a terrible taste in my mouth, hated Game of Thrones. I was so upset. But then when I went back and watched the entire show again, it was a lot more enjoyable the second time because I knew what was coming. Like the result had already happened. I knew I was going to hate it. I, I didn't have all these high expectations for it. And so I could really just sit back and appreciate the things that I did like about it compared to what I didn't. It's still, it's still terrible. That last season was don't get me wrong, but I can at least say that it was more enjoyable watching it the second time than it was the first time. Still was terrible though, but that's, that's what I'll compare this to uh, there. And there's a flip side of that as well. Sometimes you get really overly hyped about the way that a game turned out. I would say that I did that with Miami in uh, 2021, that first game. I was very excited about, you know, just the result of it, 44 to 16 or whatever it was. And then you go back and you watch, you realize they didn't do a whole lot of scoring in the second half. Uh, It was really a tit for tat at that point. And so I I was less encouraged, still liked the performance, still thought they did what they needed to do. Miami ended up being a lot worse than everybody thought they were going to be, which affected things. But also, you know, it just, it wasn't as impressive of a performance the second time around as it was the first. So I do think that it's really important to try to go back and get a better feel for things. And and like you said, being able to watch off the ball, uh, I think is pretty important as well. So Jimmy, we'll start with the topic that everybody wants to talk about, and hopefully we can keep this relatively short so we can move on to some other positions because I do think there's so much worth talking about. And and I'm going to try to bounce back and forth a little bit between offensive position, defensive position, and we'll work our way through it until we run out of time. And then we'll do the rest of it tomorrow. But we'll start with the quarterbacks. What were your takeaways after going back and watching a second time or a third time or whatever compared to what you initially had when it was happening live? Yeah, uh, my my takeaways from that were were I think I was a little harsh uh, in in my own personal assessment of the quarterbacks on Saturday night. Uh, After the rewatch, I felt better. I felt better about all four, not like, oh, uh, I just looked at Ty's performance differently. I I looked at all four quarterback performance differently, and I'm a little even more excited about all four and less down. You know, one thing that I'll say about Jalen Milrow's performance is I don't think on the one hand you can be the fan or or the watcher, the observer that says, gosh, Elijah Pritchett really struggled getting that, that blindside blocked. He was pretty bad over there. Yeah, he was. The the first team, team offense gave up nine sacks. Imagine doing that in a game, a real game in the fall. If we gave up as much as we rip the 2021 offensive line, they didn't give up nine sacks in one game, uh, but we gave up nine sacks and not one person anywhere has talked about how that affected Jalen Milrow, but it did. It did. And it's not like they're live. It's not like he was worried about getting hit, but he still doesn't want to get sacked. You know, pressure still affected the quarterbacks because it, it creates a negative play. They're all getting graded on that. So I think the pressure uh, that was applied uh, by the pass rush on Milrow was detrimental to that offense as a whole and a little detrimental to Jalen. Um, so I, I really paid attention to that more and, and saw that a few of his not-so-great plays were really caused or, or affected by the pass rush, uh, which was not necessarily his fault. Uh, as for Ty, as we know now, uh, it is true that Ty banged up his thumb early. I didn't know that live. I didn't know that Saturday night, to be honest. 
Uh, I, I knew it yesterday when I rewatched, and it made a little more sense to me on some of his throws. I, I don't think I, I use it as a blanket excuse for some negative or bad plays, but taking that into account, I think I'm more, I was more likely to say, ah, it's probably the thumb, you know, on an inaccurate throw. Uh, so I'm a little higher on Ty's performance too. And uh, with Dylan and Eli, I think when they made a bad play, and there weren't many by them, there weren't many bad plays. There weren't as many good plays either. They didn't get quite as much time. But uh, I, I just I just chalked that up to general youth. Uh, they don't know the whole scheme, the whole offense. I know it's really scaled down Saturday, but uh, I just chalk up there. So overall, after rewatching, I actually feel better about Jalen Milrow, uh, Ty Simpson, Dylan Lonergan, and Eli Holstein. Yeah, I, I think there was a purpose behind the pressure. You know, I, I'll compare it to 2017 with Jalen Hurts. You know, he was a little bit read first, then take off in 2016. SEC freshman of the year, still had a, a significant impact, was still a very effective player, was 207 away from winning a national championship and having an undefeated season with the way that he had performed and the team had performed as a whole. But there was a big emphasis throughout the offseason to get him to hang tight in the pocket and not bail. It's like first read gone. And that's great when you're doing that in a very controlled environment. You think a player is making progress on that front. And that's all that we had heard about. And then things went live against Florida State in the opener. And I don't know if you remember, but Florida State had a really good defense back then. Derwin James was a part of that defense. They had some dogs. And when everything went live, everything that he had been trying to learn and stuff, instincts take over again. And he was pretty much the same player. And so I think that instead of allowing it to be more controlled in the offseason, if they're trying to get Jalen Milrow to do something similar, they want to simulate that pressure as much as possible. Put him under duress and see how he reacts when his instincts start taking over, where you know exactly where he stands. I think it's a learning lesson. I'm not, I'm not guaranteeing this. I'm just saying that I feel like that this would be a learning lesson because I, I mean, I was ready to all we had heard about was how much improved Jalen, you know, the strides that he had made on that front. And then just everything went out the window uh, when, when things went live against Florida state. So I think that that was by design. They wanted to put both these quarterbacks under pressure. And, and so you saw a little bit more, you know, as far as blitzes and twists and stunts and things like that, the offensive line has also really struggled with that kind of stuff. Knowing what gap they're responsible for or knowing what man they're responsible for. So I think doing a lot more of that in this kind of setting it makes them more comfortable doing it. So that's just something to keep in mind. I, I have the same thoughts that you did as far as my initial reaction was, okay, the quarterbacks didn't play great. Thought Ty had some moments, some stretches. I thought right before that Earl little interception that he was really dialing it up. If guys could have caught footballs, I mean, he was making good decisions. He was putting the football where he needed to put it. Uh, I thought he was really rolling. And yes, the injury, the thumb injury or whatever, probably affected him somewhat moving forward after that moment or, or, you know, soon after. But then you go back and you watch after initially thinking, okay, they didn't play great. And then you realize, I mean, the numbers don't adequately reflect how well the quarterbacks did play. Like there were so many drops, so many footballs that should have been caught. There was a couple that were like, ah, I mean, it hit him in the hands. He probably should have caught it, but it's like, that's a tough catch to make. There were a ton, though, where it's like, that's the easy stuff, man. you got to have that, and they weren't getting it. And that's another topic, you know, as far as the receivers that we'll get to, but as far as the quarterbacks, the numbers were better than 
they actually show, you know? And, and so I think that that's important when you go back and watch. Here's the thing, though, because you watch that and you say, okay, maybe they weren't as bad as I initially thought. But Nick Saban, clearly, I, I, I wouldn't say he was not happy, but he was kind of not happy with the way that the position performed. And so you start asking yourself, okay, it didn't look as bad as we initially thought. I don't think Nick Saban's falling victim to the numbers game, and he's looking at stat sheets and saying we didn't perform well. Well, then you start thinking about what is it that Tommy Reese and Nick Saban are looking for at the position? And I don't think that he saw out of either one of the quarterbacks what they're looking for, which you you get the dynamic playmaking ability. Both of them bring that, for whether it be with their arm or uh, with their legs. But you weren't getting the simple stuff. The other side of it, the game manager side of things, where it's taking what the defense gives you, it's distributing the football to your playmakers, which Nick Saban is a huge fan of, and allowing them to make the plays. Uh, it's not trusting your eyes, going where you need to go, reading the defense properly. And so with that, I get back to, okay, it wasn't a great performance because he's right. I mean, a lot of the the playmaking ability and the wow throws and stuff were there, but the consistent down-to-down, knowing what you're supposed to do, knowing what you're supposed to read, reading it, and then doing what you need to do based off of that, you didn't get a lot of consistency on that front. So I, I understand more so his frustrations. So then it becomes, okay, what is the solution? And Jimmy, based off of that, personally, I think that these quarterbacks are still capable. But we talked about it a little bit on Saturday. Have you come around at all on the, the transfer quarterback? You haven't, that's totally fine. I don't, I don't claim to, to know this definitively one way or the other, but has anything changed on that front? Maybe you feel more confident in these two guys based off of what you saw on Saturday. But has there been any changes? No, not a change in the way I felt since Saturday in terms of, I think, and I, there's no way for me to know this. I think me and coach Saban are on the same page as far as the transfer portal idea. I think we are because I agree with what I believe his thought process is. If if I can land a clear upgrade, I'm in. If I, if I, I need a clear upgrade. Don't I, I've seen Malik Murphy's name, you know, the Texas quarterback who had an impressive spring practice. No, that's not a clear upgrade. He hasn't played. He hasn't played. He's just a young guy full of potential. Well, we got that. We got that. I, I, I see as a clear upgrade in his name because it keeps it in the news. But Tyler Van Dyke was a clear upgrade to me. I mean, in terms of he's played, he he, he could be a potential NFL first-round pick. Uh, he, he's got a lot of experience. I'm talking about experienced guys who have a pretty high level of talent. You don't have to be Caleb Williams. You don't have to be Drake May. Not getting those guys anyway. But somewhere around that Van Dyke area, I, I would be all in, clear upgrade to an experienced guy. But if you don't have that, then I play this poker hand that we're dealt because uh, I do have confidence in all four quarterbacks. And as it relates to this fall, Ty and Jalen, and with with the, with Dylan Lonergan is, I think, sort of a distant dark horse, you know, in terms of potential starter this fall. But uh, I'm 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 satisfied where Ty and Jalen both are expecting further improvement this summer and fall, and I think Alabama can win with either one of those guys. Frankly, from where they are today, assuming improvement. Uh, but hey, if 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 the clear upgrade presents itself to Alabama this summer, I'm all about upgrading to a veteran guy who I know is a good player. I will say, when you talk about what 
I think Tommy Reese and Nick Saban both are going to want in their quarterback in 2023. I thought the best representation of that on Saturday was Dylan Lonergan. I feel like more than anybody else, he played within the offense. He saw what he needed to see. He got the football to guys. Was he perfect? No, absolutely not. Is he legitimately going to be in the quarterback competition this fall? I still say no, probably not. But when you talk about one scrimmage, and it is just one scrimmage, there were 14 other practices, two of those being scrimmages. I only got to see so much, very limited sample size, but at least in that one particular scrimmage, what I'm envisioning Tommy Reese and Nick Saban wanting in their quarterback, I think Dylan Lonergan did the best job of representing that and doing that. But at the same time, I can't tell you what's been going on on a from a practice-to-practice basis. And so I think that that's also important. We can't jump on this train based off of one performance. But I am very encouraged with if Tommy Reese is going to be a multi-year coordinator, which I think is very possible, I do think he's also going to be a head coach sooner rather than later at the same time. But I think that Dylan Lonergan has a very bright future in Tuscaloosa, really regardless of coordinator. But just I saw a guy operating in a way he lacks the experience. And if he had the experience, if he was a second-year guy even, I would probably call him the favorite, but that's just based off of, you know, uh, one Saturday afternoon. And so keep that in mind, but I did, did want to point that out. Um, let's, you know, shift over to the defensive side of the football and let's talk about the secondary. What did you think about this group? Uh, I think everybody came away impressed. I don't see how you couldn't have. So Jimmy, what were your thoughts? Yeah, yeah, very high on on the DB group as a whole and on some individuals. I could spend the whole show talking about Caleb Downs. Uh, again, small sample size, but when you factor it, what we sort of figured about Caleb coming in through recruiting and what we were hearing from inside the building and then seeing him perform at A-Day, Caleb Downs, I think, is not only an immediate starter. I think he is an immediate player who may perform at a near all-star level as a first-year player. I think he's one of the best players on the team. I think he's one of the best players on the field Saturday. I go on and on about him. I love the comp. Minka Fitzpatrick reminds me of Minka mentally in terms of how he's able to, to handle things. But there's other stars. Malachi was the MVP of the game. thought that was a little bit of a stretch for the media that voted him that way. I think it's a stretch to me, but I, I get it. One. Just to let yeah, you know. Oh, I was going to ask. That's, that's good. I, I, I said uh, Justice Haynes, but uh, yeah. That's who I would have voted for. I would have voted for Haynes. But but I I think that uh, Malachi was good. He was good Saturday playing his old spot star. Might even be better at safety, and I think we'll see him there because Earl Little was so good with the twos playing star. I know people point to the interception. Earl Little did other really impressive things in the game. I think Earl should be with the ones this fall. Christian Story, always been one of my favorite players on the team that we didn't see play in the games, proved again why every offseason I'm always bragging on Christian Story. It's because of plays like he made uh, in the game. I think he's worthy of playing with the ones. Kool-Aid's the best cornerback in college football. Terrion Arnold is a good player that's improving in front of our eyes. And then the deep depth. Uh, I'm big on some of the younger guys. I think Jake Pope is a guy that could be a starter in 2024. I think Des Ricks is a guy that could be a starter in 2024, those guys looked on track to me to be significant players at Alabama. So I I, I like the starting group. And I think uh, T-Rob, who's coached the whole defensive backs, and of course Nick Saban, who, who keeps his hand in coaching his cornerbacks, I think the coaching's been excellent because 
that defensive back group to me did not look like a group that just lost four players to the NFL draft. No, it did not. And, and I talked about this last night on the talk of champions message boards, you know, someone else brought up, is it crazy to think that the secondary could actually be better after you've lost Jordan battle, DeMarco Hellams, Brian branch, Eli Ricks, Kyrie Jackson. Uh, that's a lot of contributors, depth, impact players, starters, first round picks, second round picks. Um, that's a lot of losses on the back half of your defense. And from an experience standpoint, I still think Alabama is going to take a pretty big hit. Uh, it, I think there's going to be some growing pains with some of these guys. But the way that I, I described it on the message board, a year three Kool-Aid McKinstry is going to be better than a year two Kool-Aid. A year two, meaning year two as a starter, Tyrion Arnold is going to be better than a year one starter, Tyrion Arnold. I think Malachi Moore shifting back to safety He's not the same player as DeMarco Hillens by any means, but I think that from a talent standpoint and, and you know things like that, I would say that those are probably about equal. Uh, I actually probably would lean a little towards Malachi as far as to being more of a complete skill set, but I would, I, I would call that a wash. And then you start looking at Earl Little, who I don't think is going to be as effective as Brian Branch as far as just the balance and all the different ways that he could help your defense. But I do think having a perimeter corner style of player in there at star, I mean, you saw the ball skills downfield outside the half. I mean, he, he made a perimeter cornerback type of play on that on his interception. And that's the kind of skills that you're going to be able to get from him. So he's going to have better cover ability, in my opinion, than Brian Branch might not offer quite as much as far as his blitzing ability might not be as good of a run stopper. Uh, might not be as good of a tackler, but he's still good in all those areas. I just don't necessarily think he's going to quite be Brian Branch. So I would say that there's going to be a little bit of a drop-off there. But then Caleb Downs. Jordan Battle's a very good player, very experienced, balanced. Uh, he's going to end up being drafted, I think, a little bit higher than people are anticipating on probably not Thursday, but Friday. And so, you know, very good player. But Caleb Downs, to me, he feels ready, man. Like seeing him in person, all the things that we saw on tape in high school and all the things that made him a top 10 player, the number one safety, a lot of people were arguing, hey, why is this guy not the rank, number one ranked player in the country? And it's like, I, I, I lean that way. I understand the, the thought process as far as positional value in the NFL, but I can, will continue to reiterate, this is a transformative piece for the back half of Alabama's defense and their defense in general. And it's and he adds just the balance and the elements that go beyond even a Jordan battle, especially a Dar Demarco Hellams. And so I feel like he is going to be better than Jordan battle once he. There might be some early growing pains as a young player. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. Didn't really see any issues on Saturday, but this one scrimmage it was more controlled. Uh, but I think that he'll quickly get over those, and once he does, I think he's going to end up being better. So I think that this collective group as a whole. Is going to be better than it was last year. And I feel fairly confident in that, Jimmy. I love that uh, breakdown because, I mean, I, I agree. Comparison by comparison, piece by piece, I hadn't thought of it in that way, but it's so true. But, again, uh, I'll just harp on your last point because, to me, that sums up the whole thing. It's like, well, I, I think this group may be better than last year's group, but you have Caleb Downs replacing literally a four-year starter. And Jordan Battle's really good with those intangible type things. You know, I'm talking about the Minka type. Jordan Battle's seen so much. He's seen it all. He's good traffic cop back there. He's a he diagnoses extremely well. He's a 
a leader out there got his got his you know hands and feet in the the sidewalk this weekend. I mean, you know, he was a leader uh, and a good player. And like you said, probably a second round pick, if not an early third round selection for Jordan on Friday. Such a good player. It sounds crazy. It sounds stupid. I'm sure it's the sort of stuff Coach Saban hates uh, when 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 we media types or fans say things like this. But I think Caleb Downs is an upgrade over Jordan Battle athletically athletically a better athlete than More even Jordan. a bet he's faster probably bigger uh more versatile like you said that's exactly to me to me battles at his best in the box he's at his absolute best in the box he could do some some deep center field stuff but i think caleb downs excels in the deep center field stuff while also being the same player battle was in the box you know so i i caleb downs such an upgrade but regardless of how Caleb's intangibles might be off the charts great, you can't just snap your fingers and replace four years of what Jordan Battle has seen and, and just put it in Caleb's head. I mean, he's going to have to go through some growing pains. There's been some times where we watch games in the four years and we yell at the TV screen or in the stadium, Jordan, what are you doing? I mean, that 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 has been something that has been said, right? It was just said less and less as he grew older. Caleb's going to have his freshman moments. He he deserves those, by the way. I mean, it's, it's fine that he looks like a freshman at times. It's not fair to 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 not allow him that. But in, in my mind, the secondary this year is better than last year because they're better athletically. Earl fantastic athlete like you said i mean malachi probably athletically more than demarco hellums they're, they're, they're just so different players to me but i agree with you that malachi would probably be a slight upgrade and, and me and you both like hellums like i say all the time to hellums critics i get why you're upset i know what game you're talking about tell me the second game demarco hellums had like that in his three years starting games at alabama name the second worst game he had no no one's ever answered that because there isn't an answer uh everyone's just upset about that one game right well I, I like the secondary as a whole but to me it's best described as Caleb replacing battle yes that appears to be an upgrade athletically but gosh you just lost a lot of experienced upperclassmen uh to the draft and and maybe one or so to the portal yeah so it's more so to me it's a better fit to combat a lot of what you're going to have to combat. Like if you're going to be going against Tennessee year in and year out, uh, you got to be ready for that Josh Heupel offense. And I feel like that they're better suited to be able to stop that. I also don't think that you're sacrificing anything. Uh, as far as Caleb Downs to either one of the two safeties last year, there's no area where I say, okay, this is the style of offense or the type of player that can exploit him. I'm not saying that you're going to be able to stick him you know, man-to-man coverage on Jalen Hyatt for an entire 60 minutes, and he's not going to give up a catch. Uh, I'm not saying that he's that kind of cover player. I'm saying that, you know, what was it, five catches, six catches for 207 yards and five touchdowns or whatever it was. I mean, it might have been a lot more catches. I might be confusing touchdowns with catches. But my point is that you're not going to see a fraction of that if Caleb Downs is your safety last year. I truly believe that. They started off, DeMarco Hellams was the guy that they were able to use motions and shifts to create and isolate mass matchups against the secondary. DeMarco Helms was the, on the receiving end of that early. 
Alabama countered, but their counter was Malachi Moore going a lot more nickel, taking guys out of the box, giving Tennessee more of a chance to run the football effectively, which they were already running it effectively. But, and, you know, he's a guy that's, I mean, he got beat on Saturday playing star, you know, multiple times. They, there was one of them where they actually caught it. There was another where, you know, if, if Eli Holstein just would have seen him, I mean, Isaiah Bond had torched Malachi Moore uh, and was streaking down the field pretty wide open. But with him moving back to safety, you now, I mean, your solution to that moving forward is Caleb Downs, and he should be able to at least do a little bit better, uh, especially when he's got a little bit. Of, he's not going to have a ton of safety help and stuff. But you know, with these inside guys, you got to understand. Typically, you don't want to target inside receivers compared to outside receivers on vertical routes, mostly because that guy's closer to your two safeties. So you can't create the isolated matchups downfield, you know, as you can, you know, looking at a perimeter outside receiver. So just, you know, keep that in mind. It's just, I mean, if you got Malachi Moore and DeMarco Helens trying to team up to stop Jalen Hyde, he's still going to win. So that, that's part of it. Let's talk a little bit about the linebackers, Jimmy, because I was very impressed with the inside linebackers on Saturday. Justin Jefferson, to me, was one of the best players on the field, regardless offense, defense, first team, second team, did not matter. He was all over the place, instinctive player, uh, when he sees it, he can close in a hurry. He provides pop. He's not a big guy. And you did see that lack of size hurt him at, at a couple of points, especially down there near the goal line. Uh, but I, I thought that he was exceptional to the point where I'm like, okay, why is this guy not running with the first team defense? And I don't know why that is necessarily. It could, it could be a situation where they still really like Jihad Campbell. They don't want him to transfer. So if Jihad is very much in that competition and he's, I mean, if it's Justin Jefferson is, is running ahead of him, Tresman Marshall, and you know you got Deontay Lawson coming back too, you could risk losing, uh, you know, a, a player that you don't want to lose like a Jihad Campbell. I'm not saying that's what's happening. This is speculation on my part. want to reiterate that. But uh, Justin Jefferson, and I compared him to Reuben Foster, and I don't think that was a crazy comparison. Um, I think other people have come up with that, and it's certainly understandable when you watch. But if he is Reuben Foster, you also got to remember, as good as Reuben had shown as far as the flashes, it took him a little while to finally get on the field as a full-time starter. Justin Jefferson's not going to have that much time, but I do still think it will take him some time to get on the field because I did see a lot of positives. Uh, he looks like a first-team player. He looks like a very impactful player, but he's not – you know, sometimes he relies on his athleticism a little bit too much, but in coverage, run stopping, I mean, he was the complete package for the most part. So what did you think about Justin Jefferson, but also what did you think about the position as a whole? Yeah, great run down there. I really uh, like Justin Jefferson, obviously smallish, but that's not as big of a deal as it was, you know, you know, 10 years ago, not five years ago. I mean, the game's changed. I think Justin Jefferson's sort of a product of the of, of changing schemes, and I think he would be fine. Uh, you know, a, a guess is that the primary in, uh, inside linebackers will be Trez Marshall and Deontay Lawson. But what I really like about this position is you can mix and match. Saban in the past hasn't been a guy that's platooned a lot or played a rotation of inside linebackers. He's got to be tempted to with this sort of talented depth where you have veterans like Trez and Lawson. Okay. They've started, you know, they've been around Trez will be in his fourth year. I know most of that's been at Georgia, but same thing, fourth year, 
similar defensive schemes. I don't think that's an issue for him. Lawson was a part-time starter a year ago. He's been playing here for a while now. Those are your solid veterans. But Justin Jefferson's so exciting. How do you keep him off the field? Jahad Campbell, to me, also looks like a future great. I think Jahad at some point is going to be great, not just good, because he's so versatile uh, and he's long. You know, he's not a big guy, but he's long. And uh, he has a pass rushing uh, background as a high school player that I think is going to make him an exceptional blitzer from that position. We like to do that and haven't been too effective in the past, but I know we like to blitz from that spot and Kevin Steele is going to be a blitzer. So Jihad and Justin Jefferson are exciting to me. Sean Murphy, we didn't get to see a lot of him, but I know they're excited about him too. I think he's a good player. And then, then you're squeezing out guys like Blackshire and Ian Jackson, who are highly unlikely, I think, to be in the with the ones or the twos, and or even the twos in the fall. But they're good players. They're good players. I, I think that they're they would be okay if you if you got if you had to go that far down the depth chart. But man, I, I love this position because you can mix and match. Hey, is this team we're playing this weekend real physical? Okay, if so, let's let's play these two guys. Oh, this team we're playing this weekend spreads it out, throws it. 65 times let's play these two guys and and you can mix and match which i think would be great i just don't know that Saban, you know in the past he's been more hey i'd rather get you know two two guys a ton of experience my best two whoever they are but hey with trez deontay justin jefferson jihad campbell between those four alabama's two of them are going to be really good players this fall yeah, there's no doubt in my mind. And I was extremely high on Justin Jefferson. I had kind of written in a piece, I think a couple of weeks ago, if this guy's skills translate from the JUCO level to the SEC, I think he can have a Reuben Foster, a Kobe Dean style of impact on this defense. And then you just, you don't hear anything about him. I, I heard good things about Jahad Campbell. He was obviously running with the ones. Tresman Marshall had been running with the ones. You, you're talking about Deontay Lawson. We know he's going to be involved in, the, in that. He, I mean, he, right now he's an assumed starter, one of the two. Uh, granted, other guys have been performing well, so maybe that's not a 100% sure thing, but I still, I'm sitting in the 99% sure Deontay Lawson is going to be one of the two starters come the fall. And so you're like, I mean, man, I'm really high on Justin Jefferson, but I haven't seen it on this level yet. Like, is it going to translate? Is he going to be able to run and hit, or does he get you know uh, stuck on the on the offensive linemen who are you know reaching up? You got a lot more athleticism. And, and talent and and strength and size and stuff that he's got to put up with as far as the the offensive lineman is this going to be able to translate and then you watch him and you're like absolutely it is going to be able to translate I'm very confident in that now uh, it's the second team defense so I'm not saying he would be as effective had he been running you know with the starters and I do think there's going to be some times where it's like man he kind of got washed a little bit because if an offensive lineman gets his hands on him you know he's not stacking and shedding a ton but he just he's so He's very Reuben Foster-esque in the sense that he's got good instincts. When he sees it, he closes in, in such a way where it makes it very difficult for offensive linemen to get their hands on this. Why Kobe Dean was so effective? And the more comfortable that Justin Jefferson gets playing within this defense and, and being comfortable with the speed of the game, his speed's not going to be an issue. And just his coverage ability, too. We saw it on a third down, getting a pass breakup. Saw it on a, at a couple of more points. He's not a I, – do I wish he was 6'3"? Where he could cover the six, you know, four, six, five, six, six tight ends, sure. But I think with his athleticism, there's nobody that you're going to line him up against that he can't 
match up against. And if you think about it, you you typically have to decide between safeties and linebackers when trying to cover a tight end. It's like, man, we do it with a linebacker. The athleticism is not going to be there to keep up with X guy, you know, a Kyle Pitts. But yet, if we go with a safety, he's going to be able to bully him around a little bit. So you either want that big-bodied safety or you want that undersized linebacker, and, and Justin Jefferson provides that. And so I'm very excited about what he can provide this Alabama defense at some point. I don't know if it'll be in 2023. I hope that it is, but it might not be. Jimmy, we only got a couple of minutes left. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow diving into this stuff a little bit further at some other positions, but anything else you got to add before we hop out of here? There's one more point about Justin Jefferson. We're, you know, he he literally is like a third safety out there. And with, with these safeties that we think are going to be the starters in the fall, Caleb and Malachi being better cover guys than what we've had, to me, Jordan Battle and DeMarco Helms were definitely the two safeties that needed to start last year, but they're both at their best in the box. And, and we got hurt a little bit on the on the on the deep back end with those two. Sort of solving that this time around with Caleb and Malachi. They're sort of better in center field. So we need better inside linebacker play to cover for the fact that Battle and Helms are gone. So we need to be more consistent. But at the same time, what I like about Justin Jefferson is, you know, in, in dealing with today's offenses, Clint, it's like, okay, my safeties need to have some corner skills and my off-ball linebackers need to have some safety skills. And and Justin Jefferson just, you know, he, he checks that box. Yeah, he absolutely does. Yeah, and he didn't provide the same pass rush ability or size that a Harold Perkins does for LSU. But as far as his closing speed, uh, allowing him to spot quarterbacks and stuff like that, I think he'll be able to be very effective in those sort of roles if you want him to. You might not want to take him out of pass coverage. But either way, he's going to be a good player. we got less than a minute. Jimmy, I appreciate you hopping on here with me. As always, this is fun. We're going to do this again tomorrow. Once again, this is the Bama on 3 show, and I'm your host, Clint Lamb.